Okay, I think we're about good to go. Ready if you are. We just need... Was that the letterbox? Sounded like it. But the post's already been. Oh, it's a card. What, a Christmas card? Nah, too early for all of that. It's a card from Hurdle. We tried to deliver your item, but there was no answer. We're literally sitting right here on the other side of the door, mind. Are you expecting anything? It's going to be the disclaimer for today's show, isn't it? Are they going to re-deliver? Nah, they've ticked the box for on its way back to the sender. So how are we supposed to warn the people about the bad language in the podcast? The fucking bad language? The same. And the drinking. Yeah, no idea. Not to mention getting stuff wrong and then not editing it out later. What, like that time we said In Love and Memory was a spin-off of Only When I Laugh, and if you look closely you can see the names of the three main characters on the various coffins throughout the first series. Yes, all that. Well, our audience know anyway, though, don't they? I mean, if anything, they expect it. The regular ones, yeah. But it'd be rude to drop all that on new listeners unprompted. You're not going to believe this, but look, the red light's on behind the glass. What do you mean? I mean, producer Ken's left the machine recording. If the C90 hasn't run out, we could just trim out the last couple of minutes and use that as the disclaimer. That would be lazy, self-indulgent and thoroughly unprofessional. What's your point? I'll get the scissors. Coming up on tonight's special bonus podcast. It's the, it's the type of theme tune that makes me want to walk slowly to the toilet. <laughs> affecting, affecting a gait as though I was endowed with the rickets. <laughs> now, because Poodle wears this woolen hat and he's got the Yorkshire accent and he looks like you'd catch nits just by walking past him, when I was little... I thought that he was compo out of Last of the Summer Wine, like maybe Absolutely. as a child or something. And yeah, apparently it's Candice's boyfriend, Dimitri. And can I just say, what a beautiful corporate mullet that man's got. Oh, it is. It's so isn't glossy, it? you wouldn't be surprised to see him on a table at Crufts. There's a sign of the times right there. Exit! Stage left! Hello and welcome to a surprise bonus episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here because we had some time to kill after producer Ken ate the office kaplunk. Yes, hello to you. Thanks for dropping into our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or ask us how we haven't been committed yet. Before we secrete lengths of polarised ferrite about our persons, then create havoc by loitering in the kitchenwares department of doggets, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? Do you know, I'm feeling regal. It must be the cape. So, I'm on Dubonnet and gin. Nice, it's not even Christmas. A double measure of each and a cube of ice. Oh, uh-huh. oh yes. Your good self? Uh, well, I've got a bottle of Derail Ale by the Boxsteen Brewery in Wiltshire. Oh, what a fabulous name. Derail Ale. Yeah. It's a steam-infused IPA. 5.2%, sure hoppy, without feeling too heavy. Right. Keep you on the right track. Uh-huh. Anyway, on to the first of tonight's unexpected viewings and to a family who would go apeshit if you lit a match within a 30-centimetre radius of any of them, and who kept milliners busy for years. 
The Flumps was a stop-motion animated children's TV series created in 1977 by Julie Holder, narrated by Gay Soper. It ran on BBC One for 13 episodes and was repeated regularly for the next decade. The programme centres around the titular Flump family, Grandpa, Mother, Father and the three youngsters Posey, Perkin and Poodle. They are diminutive, furry, round creatures who have small-scale, light-hearted adventures somewhere in the rural north of England. We've watched the third episode, The Magnet, in which Poodle's new pocket holds a magical metallic mystery all of its own. Straight off the belt, the theme tune to this is utterly glorious. Isn't it? It's the fucking thing. It's the soundtrack to I don't know how many years of my... I love this. Spoiler, you know. Uh, carry on. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, it's the it's the type of theme tune that makes me want to walk slowly to the toilet, <laughs> affecting affecting a gate as though I was endowed with the rickets. <laughs> you have talked before on this show about certain theme tunes feeling like a hug. Yes, this is mine. This is the one. Yes, yes, absolutely. Cozy, cozy. But look, we'll get into that. Yeah. Oh, of course, I'm assuming you did watch it back in the day. We all did, I didn't we? I fucking loved the flumps when I was little. Um, because they never really expanded on the series, they didn't make any more episodes, there wasn't really any sort of merch, I'm ashamed to say, it kind of dropped off my radar when I got older, because obviously they were just repeating the same sort of 13 episodes. Yeah, yeah. And you get to a certain point where like, oh, I'm a bit too old for this. You're fucking not, mate. Sit down and watch the flumps, you bastard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, confession here. It has been so long since I watched an episode of The Flumps. Certain children's television of our era, I go mm. back to quite often. Right. Chalton and the Wheelies, I do. Bod, yeah. I go back to all the time. I love Bod. Uh, flumps, I never really have, and I don't know why. Because I did used to love it back in the day. And do you know, I'd completely forgotten that it was voiced by a woman. Mm-hmm. You know how your memory plays tricks? I was convinced yes. yeah. it was voiced by a man, and I'm I can't think of who I thought it was voiced by, but yeah, I'd forgotten. Isn't that terrible? That's terrible, that, because what an amazing voice Gay Soper has. She is fucking magnificent in this. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Her narration, like, wait, you know, when she's just telling the story, it's firm, but without being cold. And you never doubt the separate personalities that she brings seamlessly to six fucking characters. With subtle nuance. Yeah. The, the, there's not great diversity in the voices. And you know what? I might think those characters are fucking idiots, but the only reason I can do that is because of her not-perfect performance. Absolutely. There's a lot of subtlety in this. I'll, we'll, again, we'll get onto that. First of all, priorities. Can we each donate £1,000 to children in need? And I'm talking about all the listeners as well. Mm-hmm. Just in honour of Mother Flump's amazing headscarf. Uh-huh. Because it's absolutely splendid, that tragic tale it is stapled on but yes we can right good part good. part of the thousand pound will go towards a staple remover you don't yes. want to be there when that happens but yeah 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 another thousand pound will go towards the anesthetic um <laughs> but yeah yeah so we start this wonderful scene with uh with her clearing up yeah she's a mother mother flump there despairing the absolute pigsty they all live in <laughs> Sure enough, it's because Poodle's just flinging shit everywhere, trying to find unspecified things in boxes full of crap that he forgot he had. Can I say this, though? Absolute hats off to the animators. 
because yes. they have they have captured Pootle's arrogance <laughs> in stop motion beautifully. <laughs> The way he takes it, there's something he takes out and he just flings it on the floor and the fling of his fingers is so carefree and... It is, it is, it is, it is. He's it's, all that in a bag of chips, you know what I mean? It's that bit when his mum's like, what are you, what are you looking for, Poodle? He goes, where's me fucking crayons, man? You know what I mean? <laughs> They've nailed that. But yeah, uh, absolutely beautifully captured. Now, because Poodle wears this woolen hat, and he's got the Yorkshire accent, and he looks like you'd catch nits just by walking past him. When I was little, I thought that he was compo out of Last of the Summer Wine, like maybe Absolutely. as a child or something. Totally getting compo vibes from him. Totally. Absolute fucking schema. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, he, he's got his shit all over the house, and yes. people are getting tired of it. So, yes. Mother Flump decides to hand him a bag to keep things in. And to keep them safe. Yeah. To stop them getting lost. Yeah, it's effectively a man bag, isn't it? It's a man bag. Can I just point out that it, on, on first glance at this bag, you'd be lucky to fit a fart and a boiled egg in that bag. Well, this is it. She calls it a pocket, and I'm like, even if that was a pocket on a shirt, you wouldn't get much in it. <laughs> you wouldn't. You wouldn't at all. Um, so, I don't know who's worse here, him for creating the problem or her for not coming up with a decent solution to this. Well, apart from anything else, he goes to see Grandpa, mm. and Grandpa's like, have you got anything in your pocket yet? When Poodle yeah. says no, he gives him a pencil to go in there. That's not what it's fucking for, Grandpa. The pocket is for this messy little bastard to keep his own stuff in, not to fill it with other people's shit that's lying around. This was, this was it. This was oh. my point. It's not just extra capacity for harbouring more of the shit. It's to keep the existing shit in it. Mind you, bonus alarm bells for this. Grandfather was hard at work polishing his flumpet. Family show, guys. Come on. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> oh, dear. So Poodle goes to see Father Flump. Mm. I've noticed how the... Yeah, the elder ones, they don't get names, but fine, whatever, you know. Um, Respect. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Uh, who gives Poodle an extra strong magnet without explaining what it is. Mm. And obviously Poodle's too dim to fucking ask. Then lets him merrily wander off, knowing full well that there's going to be fucking hell on in about three minutes flat. I'm pleased he didn't have a chainsaw lying on the lawn. <laughs> Poodle's in for a surprise when he finds out what that magnet can do, said Father Flump to himself. I think it's important to remember here that Daddy Flump fucking knows. Yeah. Yeah, he, he knows does. everything that's about to go down. There's sinister undertones to this, isn't there? Poodle has such a dearth of knowledge about what magnets are. Even when their effects are clearly visible right in front of him, I think he can only have grown up to be the scientific advisor on the return of Captain Invincible. Right, right. Good Lord. Good call. Mm -hmm. He wanders off, does Poodle, back to the house. Uh-huh. Is dinner ready yet, he says to Mother Flump. No. Not for a long time, but lay the table anyway, she says. Mm -hmm. So, is that so that you can look upon the knives and forks and the spoons and the empty settings? You can look on in hungry wonder. <laughs> is, is, is that what that's for, Mother Poodle? They just, they just eat with spoons. It's just gruel. That's all that happened. <laughs> My God. What do you think flumps eat? Mm. 
pencil shavings. <laughs> do, do you think they're like remotely carnivorous or what? I mean, it's not really addressed in this. They need cutlery, whatever it's going to be. But I've yeah. got a feeling they're viciously carnivorous, actually. Right. Okay. Okay. The reason there's so much hair is is it's hiding some ferocious shark-like teeth beneath. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got Grandpa Flum's been out with his crossbow. He's going to bring dinner back. Yeah, it's usually like a park keeper or something. Bless him. Yeah. So, um, so Poodle, he tacks the glee and goes outside for a silk. He does. And yeah, he's not He sits happy. down, and in about 15 seconds, he's covered in pots and pans like he's fucking Ned Kelly's last stand. Right. So, so obviously, Poodle can't work out why this is happening. And it isn't freaking him out at all. He's just slightly puzzled, and he decides to have a sleep. Very normal, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's how he. De- that's this is how he deals with trauma. He just shuts down. <laughs> so, first interlude of the fifteen-minute episode, we get a ninety-second stop animated insert now of some dancing cutlery in a featureless blue expanse, accompanied by a sort of jazz ragtime skiffle mashup. It's a thing of substance-induced beauty. Put the needle on the record, Ken. think this is what Poodle's dreaming about when he's asleep? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, I danced while that was on. <laughs> yeah, I, it's I, it's my ringtone. Are you right? <laughs> Good Lord! <laughs> that was absolutely exquisite, wasn't it? It's the way the spoons clack. Yep. <laughs> it's the way they're just stopping and... I love this. Yeah. Back to the action. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. So now, Posey and Perkin, the two older children, remember... Mm. Uh, they're outside looking for the missing spoons, which followed Poodle when he wandered off. Because apparently, mm. their mother didn't hear the fucking racket of that happening. No, oblivious. <laughs> um, and that, then revelation they hear some snoring. Well, here's what gets me: Perkin is thick as fuck, mind. <laughs> when I was little, he was my favourite, and I don't know why. Because I'm watching this now, and he's a bit of a dick. He he's staring at his brother who is asleep with a pan on his head, and he doesn't recognise him. Thank you. What, right, the this fuck is, this, does this ha- what the fuck does this child need help with? This is it, right? Now we have to buy into not only a handful of cutlery following a child who's holding a magnet without actually just attaching itself to the magnet, right? Um, now a whole plethora of metal objects sticking to the kid all over the fucking shop, but sticking to him, not to the pocket where he's keeping the magnet. As if if Poodle is now magnetic, suggesting that the flumps have a stupidly high iron content in their blood. And then, yes, his thick brother and sister mistaken someone with a metal chamber pot on their head for a robot. Yes, yes. Can you imagine if Star Wars had taken this approach? Sounds to me like Perkin has a future as a Chibnall-era Doctor Who scriptwriter. You know what I mean? So the um, the menfolk turn up then. Father Flump explains how magnets work to the entire family, who'd apparently been unaware of such things, <laughs> despite right. him having two of the fucking things at the start of this episode. Metal things stick to magnets 
and that magnet must be a lot stronger than I thought. So how come this magnet wasn't pulling shit all across the backyard when it was in uh, Father Flump's possession? Yeah. Funny that, isn't it? Jesus. Because there's no on-off switch here. It's not an electromagnet. I love the bit where they're like... But, but how am I going to get them off me? Don't worry. We'll soon put things right. And I think that's right, Mr Flump, yes. All you need to do is hit Poodle really fucking hard with a hammer and it'll reverse the polarity of the metal. I've seen this work in a film. Everybody, get a hammer! But can I just say that Poodle's malaise has a positive side? Hmm. The people have found things that they've lost for years. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. M- Mother Flump has found her thimble. Well, she says that, but you're like, where did you find it? Yeah, this is it. Where it were they nowhere, It was nowhere there. The magnet, you've just pulled it out of your pocket. It's been in your pocket the whole time. Yeah. In fact, it's yeah. just in your pocket. It's been in a headscarf. Father Flump finds a spanner. It's uh-huh. a Cluedo, this. It's a Cluedo with hair. Yeah, it's revealed that the magnet his dad's got was even more powerful... And yet he's somehow not walking around looking like the fucking Death Star at the end of A New Hope. Hey! Absolutely. Good Lord. So that was the story. And I mentioned the word cosy earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't mean I don't mean just cosy in feel when you're watching. The whole aesthetic, the whole feel, what you're watching on the screen. Yes, well. yes. Yeah, I love the I love the scaling of the whole thing. Most yes. of the sets you see feature walls made of house bricks, so you get a perfect idea of the scale of the flumps before they start fucking about with the cutlery they're basically the size of a human head with tiny arms and legs coming out and you know now i say that out loud that's kind of terrifying uh, yes it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. as you as you've mentioned yourself the animation in this is absolutely fucking superb yeah without even going into the expressiveness of the characters right there are cuts between angles the smooth pans and zooms, even the fact that the picture is moving imperceptibly between frames, which gives you this impression of a handheld camera, and the subconscious suggestion of that is that this is documentary footage. I love it. I love it when you get deep. (laughs) You're right, though. Good observation. At the end of that, then, how many pegs would you stick onto Poodle's woolly hat before you kick his ass all the way to home Firth? Well, I think we should count ourselves lucky that this was an incident with spoons. If the flumps routinely ate with steak knives, it could have been very different. Nine pegs. Glad you said that. Short and incredibly sweet. Cosy television, as I mentioned, and then some. I have nothing bad to say about this because it's more charming than Peter Bowles in his green velvet dinner jacket at a talisman salesman's annual dinner. Nine pegs. Beautiful. But the question... The question that everybody's asking, mm. we're getting voicemails, um, mm. is how many steps would it take you to <laughs> up the mountain? I can do this in as many members as there are of Yazoo. The Flumps are voiced by Gay Soper, who also appeared in 1970's Love is a Splendid Illusion, next to Mark Kingston, who was in four episodes of John Brown's Body with... Peggy Mom. I feel like a game of rounders. Beautifully done. Thank you very much, thank you very much, thank you very much. And your good self? I can do this... And as many steps as there are members of the Human League. 
if one of them died. The Flumps is narrated by Gay Silper, who rocked up in a couple of episodes of Bless This House alongside Sid James, who was of course George in George and the Dragon, opposite Peggy Mount. Oh, I can rely on that, can I? Very good, very good. Oh, that's that. Mind you, I don't need a magnet to know that I'm attracted to the things. And I could do with some ideas of what to buy the folk for the festive season. If you've ever wondered why Yardley is one of Christmas's best-loved traditions, you've only to look closer. Chic, a classic fragrance charmingly gift-wrapped. Rose Royale soaps and talcs exclusively packaged for beautiful gifts. Or Yardley's world-famous lavender soaps in Christmas baskets. There's something for everyone with Yardley for Christmas. Avoid the crowds this Christmas. Shop in comfort at your News Force newsagent. There's a tremendous choice of cigars, greeting cards galore, chocolates, sweets and things to eat, fizzy drinks for the party, gifts and toys for girls and boys, local newspapers packed with action, daily papers full of news, comics and annuals for Christmas laughs, and lots more besides. So don't waste your time rushing around this Christmas. Pop into your News Force newsagent where you see this sign. Lager, 195. Ideal presents for all the family this Christmas. From BBC Videos, the very best in entertainment. Monty Python's Flying Circus, the fascinating Life on Earth series, and the award-winning Box of Delights. There's festive music on BBC records and cassettes with the magical voice of Alec Jones. Experience the unique sound of Eric Clapton from the series Edge of Darkness. Or just sing along with the EastEnders. Enjoy a good read with BBC books, including the spectacular Kingdom of the Ice Bear, The Triumph of the West, and from a new natural history series, The Living Isles. Videos, records and books. Something for everyone this Christmas from the BBC. Love them, love them. Love them. Some good ideas for the festive things by the festive things. Hashtag by the things. Yeah. You done your shopping? No. 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 Me neither. <laughs> can you um can you recommend any particular place that uh, anybody might enjoy perusing over when they're doing their shopping for other people? It's funny you should mention that. They might want to mm. go to www.peggymountpod or one word dot com C O M. Um, and there's a little, a little the, the, the bit, scroll down a bit, the bit with all of the icons of where you can find us here, there, the other. There's a little, little what of a, a shopping basket. Click on that. There's some delectable merchandise on there. Mmm, mmm. Yeah, I might have a look at that. I haven't seen that. 
Yes. And so before we Oh Oh You know Here we go. Every time Let the machine get it. Well, that explains a lot. Mystery solved. I'm sure we could hang on for another 15 minutes or so. That's right. On to the second surprise of the night. And a quintet of comedy queens thrown together in the mix as part of a mid-1980s ITV attempt to be all alternative in that. On Top was a half-hour anarchic sitcom from Wits End Productions and Central Independent Television, which aired on the ITV network for 13 episodes over two series. Written by Dawn French, Jennifer Saunders and Ruby Wax, the spirited show revolves around the three of them sharing a London flat with Tracy Ullman completing the comedy quadrangle and all under the auspices of Joan Greenwood as their landlady. We've watched the first episode, Foreplay, originally broadcast on Wednesday the 23rd of October 1985 at 8.30 in the evening. When a spacious apartment in the capital goes up for rent in the middle of a housing crisis, it'll take innate charm and sharp thinking for the right candidate to secure a place. I mean, feeling that blind-looking shouting is always worth a try. And shouting is right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this on first transmission. Do you? Right. I do. Go on. Did you watch it? Do you? How many episodes did you watch? I watched all of the first series. Oh, okay. I do remember distinctly thinking that this is empty. You've got to remember, I'm watching this at 12 years old yeah. off the back off the back of the young ones. Right. This was billed and talked about in the Radio Times and TV Times, etc., as a female version of the young ones. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is entirely the thing. It's, it clearly is that. Mm-hmm. Why is this on ITV? I know. With this cast alone, it should be on the BBC, but even even if they'd passed, and I get the feeling they did, why wouldn't Channel 4 pick this up? Channel 4, at the time, was the home of the comic strip, and then that had ended but by this time. But most of this cast are. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> so I'm guessing that ITV are looking at these because they'd caused such a stir on Channel 4, these bright young things. They've thought, right, we need, we need someone to rival... Um, Rick and Aid. Yeah, ITV must have thought all their Christmases had come up once here. Yeah. Until it went out. And then they thought, okay, we got this as a Christmas present. I hope they (laughs) kept the receipt. Um, (laughs) So this was definitely on in our house at least once. Mm -hmm. I don't remember disliking it myself, but I think the fact that the cast were from that comic strip generation meant that it wasn't going to get a fair crack of the whip with my parents. Mm -hmm. There's too much shrieking and not yep. enough structure in here for them, and I get that. Now, at this point, uh, we only had one TV in the house, so I never got to see the whole run of it because they, they just didn't watch the rest of it, and that's that, you know. Sure, I get that. And you're right there. I will say, and I'll go into this later, my conclusion, rather, but um, I found more structure in it this time than I did on first watch as a 12-year-old. It seemed mm-hmm. all over the bloody place to me back then, and so I couldn't quite gel with it. You know... Yeah. 
this is a breathtaking cast when you think about it. There is a I, wealth I think, of talent. I think time has done that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, at the, that, that at was the time you were like, "Oh, it's the girl ones out of the comic strip." Okay, um, yeah. You look at it now, and it should be absolutely fucking legendary. But yeah, yeah. This is it, this is that kind of comedy in its infancy, and fuck me, doesn't it show? <laughs> it also definitely felt sort of intentionally outside the box. Mm-hmm. The fact oh, that yeah. there are very few men in this. Most sitcoms at that time either revolved around men or they were prominent supporting characters. Mm-hmm. Now again, I think your traditional domestic audience at the time doesn't quite know what to make of Girls on Top. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, the title is deliberately suggestive, even though it's gone out at eight thirty. There's that sort of feeling of danger with it. I there think is. It was brave of ITV to take a punt on this. I will. I will credit them with that. They wouldn't do it now. No, no, that's true. Yeah. I, I agree with you. One minute and 30 seconds in, and this feels like a mid-term student theatre review. Yes. It's got that chaos to it. Yeah, the um, the shouting starts before reading out the titles. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and that annoyed me somewhat. That that came across as trying too hard. Now, the weird thing is we open at Flashy Flats, which is a mm. you know an office setting. Um, it's full of silent extras who've never been on camera before. Yep with Helen Lederer and Helen Atkinson Wood acting like it's a busy office when in actual fact the room has the atmosphere of a morgue. But it's okay because Ruby Wax is about to come in and raise the volume. She really is. Helen Lederer playing the fast-talking buffoon that she's very good at. Yeah, yeah. Ruby, of course, can steal a scene and then some. Yeah, yeah. And, well, it does lead to something that I consider to be the funniest line of the entire episode. Are you reading my fucking notes again? Get back over your side of the desk. <laughs> and I think you mean this. Excuse me, excuse me. I believe I owe you some rent. Hi, I'm Debbie. There's nothing available. No, I think I owe you some money. I'm sorry, what for? Because, Debbie, I've been living in this chair here for three weeks now. I swear to God that is the only genuinely great joke in this entire episode. It is. It and is. that's down to Dawn French's delivery. Yep. We're less yep. than two minutes in and I already know that she's going to be my favourite thing about this. At, at, uh, at 12 years old, Joan Greenwood was my favourite thing in this. Don't get me wrong, Joan Greenwood is fantastic. Mm. We'll get onto it, but Ruby Wax is fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. It, it's Jennifer Saunders is great. It feels like she's not trying too hard. Um individually all of these elements are great it's yeah we'll get to it but there's something wrong when you put them all together it yeah the recipe's wrong yeah i guess there's a little bit of a comment on on the housing crisis at the time around the kensington area you know what it's a bit of a blunt instrument but fair play to their screenwriting efficiency it works it does that it get it it does does the setup you know i'm fine with that yeah yeah yeah, Um, yeah, it does on that subject Mm. debbie says the flat is going to be 200 pounds a week yeah now you think Ken, that, Ken, that I'm about to music. ask you roll what that music, translates Ken. to in today's money, but I'm not. Oh, right. The flat we're talking about is Oak Park Gardens. The address is read out later on, which is in Putney, yeah. Southwest 19. You can look that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I want to know is what is the average monthly rental price for a three bedroom flat there in Oak Park Gardens in this day and age? Is mm. it A, £1,990? B, £2,440 or C £2,550 
be? According to Rightmove, I did some mm. research on this, the mm -hmm. average rental of an apartment in Southwest 19 is £1,990 a month. Okay. Well, now, I, I'll, I'll probably shot the mark there. Bear in mind that Helen Lederer's character says this is £200 a week. Uh-huh. Bank of England website inflation calculator tells us that now, that's a, Now, now, that's Ken, a, now play the record. <laughs> that's a present-day equivalent of £550, or £2,220 a month. So this seems oddly on point. It doesn't feel yeah. too exaggerated at all, so I'm not going to argue with them on that. No, the lesson no, no. is that property in London has always been overpriced. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And amen to that. Lesson to aspiring comedy writers out there. Do your research. There you go. On to one of my favourite points of the episode then, Joan Greenwood. Oh, my God. Uh -huh. Now, I first knew of her in the BBC's adaptation of the Miss Marple stories with yes. Joan Hickson. That's right. In the episode or in the story, At Bertram's Hotel. That's the one. Where where she plays a marvellous part, uh, quite similar in eccentricity to this, but, I mean, this, she's on 21, never mind yes. 10, <laughs> uh, but of a similar ilk, um, some aristocratic eccentric. Yeah, we basically meet her in a pink wallpapered study, mm. writing a romance novel on a typewriter, one key press at a time. She's basically meant to be Barbara Cartland, right? That's the joke. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right, okay. yeah, of course. Yeah. Her first meeting with Dawn French was wonderful. And now I could stand her insane demeanour. And then we get Tracy Ullman's character, Candice, if I remember rightly. Yes, that's right. Yeah, she, she comes in and, God bless Tracy Ullman, she shows us all how great she is at playing annoying characters. Yeah, she does. I know Doesn't this she? is deliberate, yeah. and I still can't stand her. So that makes it doubly fucking genius, right? Uh, yeah, it does, because, okay. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure if you speak to her about it, she'll say, well, yeah, that was the idea. My God, you've got that nailed on, kid. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What a voice. It it just wouldn't stop. Uh, it made my teeth hurt. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, it's at this point that the main mm -hmm. cast start properly talking over each other's lines and needlessly yes. repeating phrases. The hallmark yes. of improvised dialogue and not enough rehearsal time. That's right. Um, but it is full of surprises, this episode, because I didn't for a minute think I was going to be seeing Alan Rickman in a white suit. There we go. The man one turns up at the front door of the flat. And yeah, apparently it's Candice's boyfriend, Dimitri. And can I just say what a beautiful corporate mullet that man's got. Oh, it is. It's so Isn't glossy, it? you wouldn't be surprised to see him on a table at Crufts. There's a sign of the times right there. And it's good to see that Alan is committing himself to the improv aesthetic by not reading the part of the direction which says his character is supposed to be Greek. Yes, yes. What He's is about that as convincing as that as he is doing German in Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. He's got the creep thing down, though, because he's wearing white loafers. That's all I'm saying. And he's a nasty man as well, because he steals Dawn French's purse, car keys, and a packet of Watsits. That's right. He's basically in the show for a minute and a half, and he mm. steals that. He's not nice. He's not nice. <laughs> Don French, though, back to Don French, her mm. character Amanda, mm -hmm. she's sort of meant to be this kind of bullish militant feminist, right? You know, the mm -hmm. kind of character that Viz picked up with Millie Tant. Yes, yes. She's supposed to be overbearing and inflexible, and that's where the comedy will arise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The problem is that Don French plays her almost completely like Don French. 
yes. to Amanda yes. comes over as clearly lovely with almost no discernible character flaws. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, yeah, you she know. just she doesn't. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of negativity um, in order to create the conflict required uh, yeah. for a basic convention of sitcom. Uh, if and anything yet, else, uh, you could be watching Geraldine Granger, the student years. Yeah, basically. You know? And yet Tracy Ullman seems to be playing her part like she's auditioning for Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> yes. This yes. sitcom hasn't even found a style yet and she is still out of place. God bless her. But you still know, you still know that every dinner party she goes to, she will say, do you know The Simpsons first appeared on my show? Fair fucking play it or other. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I would sit and go, yes, yes, I did know that, Tracy, yes. But... Yeah. <laughs> so we get a bit back with um, Lady Carlton in a study between her and Amanda. Yes. Joan Greenwood gets to go full eccentric with a taxidermic dog. Yeah, she does. She does. Um, then finally, finally, Shelley turns up in the flat. Mm. Followed shortly by Candice. And then we've got all four main cast members together in the same room. Kaboom. The fact that this happens 22 minutes into the episode feels like the only bit of structure they've got. Right. <laughs> of course, then we're back on fucking Workshop Street for a couple of minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 But they're there. We, we've established it. They're there. They're sharing the flat together. It's going to be a wild ride and credits. So, thoughts? Well, I get the impression that a BBC exec turned down this pitch in 1983. Then they had mm-hmm. two solid years of colleagues shaking their head and taking the piss until the episode finally aired on ITV, at which point that exec's like, I fucking told you I was right. I can't disagree with that at all. Then again, I think by the time it got into episode six, that exec was going, yeah, well, I could be wrong. How many pegs would you like to place onto the stuffed cadaver of Joan Greenwood's dog? Well, Girls on Top should be better. The idea is solid. God knows the talent is there to make it happen. But this is like watching an improv group coasting on the goodwill of an audience. There's every chance that the show found its feet as it went along. Um, but this, this, the first episode is the one we watched for review. It's just not strong enough. Five out of nine. How about you? Okay, I'm on a similar line. As I said, I remember watching this on first transmission and thought it was over the top and trying desperately to be funny and failing because 12-year-old me was comparing it to the young ones. On rewatch, I have to say that as bad as I remember it, it hasn't aged well, but I've seen worse. Still, it gives off a feeling of adults watching the badly behaved kids and trying to be just like them for a laugh and looking ridiculous. Four pegs. Fair. So, Mr Blackout, the question on every 1980s ex-tenant's lips in the borough of Kensington is, how many estate agents will you walk past to yodel up the Montagna? I'll do it in three. Oh. This episode of Girls on Top has a fleeting guest appearance from Helen Atkinson Wood, who appeared in an episode of Chelmsford 123 next to... Erica Hoffman, who was in 1988's Mr. Noel episode of Tales of the Unexpected, alongside Kim Thompson, who applied her very real detective skills in virtual murder with Peggy Mount. You might remind her she owes me 10p. Oh, nice. Nice. Like it. Like it. It's breezy up at the mountain. Would you come and join me purely for warmth? Oh, I most certainly will. Go 
Girls on Top features the bitingly extravagant wit of Joan Greenwood, who cropped up in the Meet the Mole episode of 1981's Bogner. Next to Charmian May, who was, of course, in charge of Paradise Lodge in You're Only Young Twice, albeit not in charge of... Peggy Mow. Tell her there's still a draft in this room. She's a girl on top. I think Peggy Mow should have been the cleaner in this programme. Oh, my God, yes. That's that for this bonus episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. And I've just noticed my marble bust of Tom Baker in the corner of the studio has grown some Mickey Mouse ears. So this means we've either been given a $100 million production budget or that Blackout has your socials. Yes, thanks once again for being with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyManPod at gmail.com or we are PeggyManPod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Five-star ratings are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to us. Don't forget to go to PeggyManPod.com to check out the show notes for this and for all of our other episodes, and you'll also find a link to our merchandise store. Christmas shopping! Hashtag buy the things. Buy the things. It's as simple as that. It really is. Right then, we'll be back where we're tits deep in tinsel, and we mean it this time because we've got it our own. Until the snow is falling all around us, Keep mountain. The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments and television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy Mount Pod.com.